Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, I first encountered Joe Rogan when I was at primary school. It was the early 2000s, and he hosted this trashy game show called Fear Factor. You six people have been brought here from all over the country for one reason, to stare fear in the eye as you compete for $50,000. A few years later, he popped up again as the colour commentator for the Ultimate Fighting Championship, the UFC. I'm back here right now backstage. I'll be interviewing the fighters as they come out of the octagon and I'll also be previewing the fights, the final fights in each weight division. I'll be talking to the fighters. We'll find out who's injured, who's going to be... So it feels a bit weird that in 2022, Joe Rogan has pivoted to become unquestionably one of the most successful podcasters ever. In 2019, his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, was reportedly downloaded 190 million times in a month. And in 2020, Joe Rogan's podcast was signed in an exclusive deal by Spotify for $100 million. The Joe Rogan Experience breaks lots of podcasting rules. It's this stream of consciousness, long-form show. It often runs to three or four hours per episode. And it has this huge range of guests from various lines of work and various political persuasions. But lately, this regular guy just asking questions shtick has landed Rogan in hot water. Spotify has spoken and it has chosen Joe Rogan over Neil Young. The rock legend gave the streaming service an ultimatum demanding that his music be removed from the platform if Rogan's podcast remains on it because he says Rogan's podcast is, quote, spreading fake information about vaccines. So today on The Detail, a podcast that went from a bunch of guys sitting around shooting the breeze to one of the world's biggest media products. But has the Joe Rogan experience gotten too much power And is it, and the platform that hosts it, taking too little responsibility for what's on there? Did you know who Joe Rogan was before the podcast? No, look, I didn't. Tim Watkin is RNZ's head of podcasts. I'm not big big in the world of wrestling and and his kind of stand-up, so um, much stand-up at all, really. So no, he he was news, news to me largely, but... Um, by the time I'd heard about him, he was a bit of a cult figure, you know, one of the biggest podcasts in the world, which he, he still is. And so he was, he's just created an incredible brand around him, you've got to say, and an incredible following. The Joe Rogan experience, just put it into context for people who maybe are not that familiar with the world of podcasting. How big a phenomenon is this program in the podcasting universe? Oh, huge. You know, his his Elon Musk interview was being viewed by, what, 20-something million people. He has millions of people listening to his show every week, which is, you know, on a scale that nearly um, any other podcast would, would barely dream of. In a medium that is still relatively niche, he has become utterly mainstream to the point where the world's biggest music streaming platform will choose to back him as a podcaster over the musicians they stream. Joni Mitchell is joining fellow singer-songwriter Neil Young and asking for her music to be removed from Spotify. The musicians are protesting against the streaming service, saying it's spreading misinformation about COVID vaccines by featuring the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. Now, Rogan included a guest list last month that was accused of promoting falsehoods about vaccines, but the episode was later taken down. A few years ago, that would never have happened. Spotify was about music. Now they are so invested in this podcaster that they will let the Joni Mitchells and Neil Youngs of this world go 
in favour of a podcaster. The Joe Rogan experience began in 2009. Over the past 13 or so years, he's recorded more than 5,000 hours of audio. To put that into a bit of perspective, the Beatles released a total of 10 hours of music. Ever. Now, I've actually listened to quite a bit of the Joe Rogan experience over the years, least so over the past couple of years, and not generally full episodes, mainly clips. But it is a very unusual product. I think it's mischaracterised, actually, by a lot of people who haven't listened to it that often. Joe Rogan is the child of a couple of hippies from San Francisco. He's an open-minded guy. He's reasonably intelligent. He asks open-ended questions and he listens to the answers. He has a wide range of guests, from scientists to singers, paediatricians to professional wrestlers, composers and directors and philosophers and politicians from across the political spectrum. And he does tend to approach interviews with the assumption of good faith, which can be pretty rare in American media. Now, the conversations often are dull, but they do sometimes go to weird and wonderful places. He once had a UFC fighter on, George St. Pierre. This is very famous, famously brutal cage fighter. And they spent a solid 15 minutes talking about his love for paleontology. So I've really I, 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 paleontology? I study paleontology. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I traveled the world during those four years off, by the way. That... In 2019, Rogan had Elon Musk on, the world's richest man. So is that a joint? It's um, marijuana it's, it's inside weird. of uh, tobacco. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I tried one once. Come on, man. <laughs> you probably can't because stockholders, right? I mean, it's legal, right? It's totally legal. Okay. Musk took a drag on the joint live on camera. Tesla's stock price immediately plunged 9%. It was crazy. And you wouldn't get it anywhere else. But over the years, he's also said some really horrible things. Now, we are going to play some of these for you now, so if you want to give this a miss, scroll ahead or just tune out for the next 30 seconds or so. Some dudes, man, like, have no problem, like, having sex with a, a, a he-she, like a girl that used to be a guy. There's some crazy shit that they haven't even discovered yet. You know, just recently they found a new species of chimpanzee in the Congo, a gigantic chimpanzee that's over six feet tall. It's really? called the Bondo ape. Yeah, I'm a primatologist. There's no such thing as a... As a Bondo ape. You're a fucking idiot. Go online and look it up. You're a what? What do you do? It's a new discovery. You're a primatologist. Well, look it up. You're not current. Pay attention. Go online and look it up. Joe Rogan is now apologizing after videos resurfaced of him using the N-word multiple times on his podcast, Patriot Takes. This testosterone-soaked show clearly resonates with a lot of people. The podcast has grown wildly, even beyond Rogan's wildest dreams. I've never tried to do anything with this podcast other than just talk to people and have interesting conversations. I can't believe it's as successful as it is. When it became popular, other people wanted to come on, and I was like, oh... It'd be cool to talk to that person. And then, boom, it's become what it is today, which is like some out-of-control juggernaut that I barely have control of. But since COVID became the biggest story in town, this podcast, which is much better at dealing with ideas and people with interesting stories, has had to pivot. It's become very pandemic-centric. And when you combine that with the host's naturally sceptical outlook and lack of any kind of scientific expertise it can be a bit of a recipe for disaster. 
In December, one guest, the virologist Dr. Robert Malone, made a number of misleading claims about vaccines during the podcast. The virus was just ripping through Uttar Pradesh. It has almost the same population as the United States. And the decision was made out of desperation to deploy early treatments as packages. And it included a number of agents. The composition has not been formally disclosed. And whatever was in those packages was rumored to include ivermectin. Having people on there giving opinions about the vaccines that are not based in science is just not, it's, it's counter to public health right now and it is just not the right thing to do. Colin Peacock is the host of RNZ's Media Watch. He promoted the use of ivermectin. Bro, do I have to sue CNN? I know, do you? They're making shit up. They keep saying I'm taking horse dewormer. I literally got it from a doctor. It's an American company. Mm -hmm. It's a, it, They won the Nobel Prize in 2015 for use in human beings. He said he took it himself, but he got COVID, so it clearly didn't help much with that. He'd also interviewed guests who'd uh, spruiked uh, ivermectin, uh, one guest who said outright that this could kill the COVID infection stone dead. And, of course, we know that isn't true. So that was one of the things that, that hit the headlines and people were a bit alarmed about what he might say to his millions of users about something as serious as COVID and the treatments required to, uh, to, to combat the virus. But specifically, uh, one of his most controversial guests was a kind of disgraced virologist called Robert Malone. He was banned from Twitter uh, late last year for violating its... COVID code on misinformation policies. And it was pretty soon after that that he appeared on the Joe Rogan Experience podcasts. He suggested, I think, that people who are vaccinated after COVID-19 are at greater risk of adverse side effects, and uh, among other things. And after that, uh, there was a, a letter that was sent to Spotify. It was about more than 250 doctors and professionals and healthcare workers. About the misinformation on COVID vaccines and the pandemic spread on Joe Rogan's podcast. It airs exclusively on Spotify. Now, the group wants Spotify to take action against Rogan's wrong information by developing a misinformation policy. The letter to Spotify in part says this, by allowing the propagation of false and societally harmful assertions, Spotify is enabling its hosted media to damage public trust in scientific research and sow doubt in the credibility of data-driven guidance offered by medical professionals. Joining me now is... So, you know, as we know, there are a very small number of conditions that cause problems or that the vaccine can cause problems with very rare, affect very few people. And the more that gets talked about without that sort of context, uh, the, the more uh, that I think researchers and um, health specialists have very valid concerns about it. So that was probably the one that, that tipped Neil Young uh, over the edge, although he waited uh, you know, some weeks. I guess he must have mulled it over before saying it's either Joe Rogan experience or me, Spotify, you can't have both. And yes, as you mentioned, Joni Mitchell and a few other artists have, um, have come off the back of that. Where do you come down on this accusation of people hosting misinformation and not, and not sufficiently challenging it versus the idea of having a broad range of voices, some of which depart from the popular consensus on topics? Well, I think some of that comes down to the fact that it's consumer choice. And this is an on-demand medium, right? You are choosing to uh, listen to a podcast with a guy that has a pretty clear reputation for it. If you're a listener of the Joe Rogan experience, you probably know about the controversies he's been involved in. So I, I guess, and this is something that Rogan himself has tried to 
point out when defending his position. He says some of the issues he's discussed, which were contrarian at the time uh, when say, people in the United States were given advice about mask use. He says later findings proved that some of his reservations that he was airing at the time turned out to be true as the scientific picture moves on. However, people have also objected to him because he hasn't really had a, a duty of care on that, knowing his reach. So there's an Atlantic journalist, Derek Thompson, who was trying to work out what the appeal of Uh, Joe Rogan and others are. And he he came up with this kind of label of DGAF populists, as in, uh, you know, don't give up F populists. They kind of give themselves an excuse of saying, I'm going to talk about a controversial issue. I know I've got a huge audience, but I'm not really going to have to take responsibility for it because I can wave my arms and say, the picture might change. I'll still be doing podcasts. I can talk about it later. And there's a whole range of people with contrary perspectives also available on the same platform as my podcast is distributed and on many other platforms. But I think Derek Thompson of Atlantic Monthly is right. He's saying it's aggregator economics that have made firms like Spotify and Netflix uh, huge. It's that which has persuaded them to buy exclusive rights very expensively for popular content. And right now, a lot of popular content is political. That's kind of the culture now. There's a lot of what he calls politico-culture analysis. People who say, it's my right to say what I want. People are choosing to uh, to listen to this or not. There's a whole range of factors out there. There's a whole range of options, a whole range of other perspectives. No harm done, even if I say something that turns out to be incorrect or that other people think might be harmful. Does having a big audience change your responsibilities to that audience? I think it does, and particularly someone for and Rogan's kind of unique position where he's getting so much money, you know, tens of millions of dollars at least from this multi-year deal with Spotify. That means you don't have an excuse not to create a decent product, right? And if you acknowledge, as he kind of has had to do, that he hasn't been doing a great job up to now, he said, I don't know what else I can do other than try harder to get people with uh, differing opinions on right afterwards. I do think that that's important. And, uh... And do my best to make sure that I've researched these topics, the the controversial ones in particular, and have all the pertinent facts at hand before I discuss them. Well, that that to me is an acknowledgement that he thinks he might have done some harm. And if you've got that amount of money, well, why not try harder or use the power of the Internet to uh, ameliorate some of these concerns? Now, if the appeal of it is that he's just a normal guy, just asking normal questions, sometimes from experts who really do know what they're talking about, even if they're contrarian or whatever. He's got his own website. Spotify has its own platform. Why not post links? Why not pay a few people to actually run through some of the claims if they turn out to be controversial, get ahead of it, and prepare some contrary information? It may be a bit like... Uh, you know, podcasts sponsored by gambling companies where they'll read out the website of, uh, you know, gambleresponsibly.co.uk or something. And of course, no one's going to go and click on that really and, and look at it. They're covering their own ass to say they're being responsible because they know gambling can be a problem for some people. But, you know, wh- why not do it? Why not pay a few people, a few researchers, gather some information? You know, if you've sat through, you know, two to three hours of this podcast, knowing that it's about something as controversial as COVID or some other major public issue, why not then provide a few links, uh, put a bit on your website, some alternative information? Uh, I think that would be a good thing. Spotify has 
responded with with a reasonably familiar refrain, which is, "Hey, we, we're just a platform. We don't exercise editorial control over this podcast." Does that line hold water with you? Daniel Ek of Spotify is now experiencing the same thing that the likes of Mark Zuckerberg and uh, the Google uh, founders and bosses have had to confront before, that their platform is so big, so preeminent, there is no way around it. They are gatekeepers of, uh, of information and amplifiers of information. And it's not really enough now to say, uh, given the, you know, the capacity and the power and the reach of their platforms, that they are merely that, merely platforms, because the decisions they take are the ones uh, that mean more and more people will have the content and respond to it, react to it, be influenced by it. We can see that in the way that they've already responded to controversy by going through the back catalogue and picking a few out and quietly disposing of them because they want presumably the controversy to go away. Now, what's that if that's not, you know, the most heavy of editorial decisions, which is actually to, you know, to scrap, uh, to, to, to effectively burn uh, content that, you know, one of their leading uh, content creator, their leading content creator has put into the market. But when we get into the area of um, this algorithmic aggregation, right, where, where they're actively deciding what to promote, they are publishers. They really are, and they've got to get, get to grips with it. There is a growing movement, a growing concern about harm and protection from harm and the way that we know the internet can amplify harmful stuff very quickly. And then again, you know, the countervailing um, free speech argument, which, you know, as, as we know, there are a lot of people very firmly committed to it uh, that would resist any uh, moves to further restrict people's right to say what they want, particularly when it's an on-demand environment. It's not like the things Joe Rogan is saying or his guests are saying that upset people or misinform people are being broadcast to unwary people who might turn on a television set and see these broadcast over the public airwaves. You know, this is a commercial transaction. You're a Spotify customer. You've got an internet service provider. You've subscribed to that service. You want to get it. That changes the responsibilities, both as far as the companies and the creators are concerned. Well, what about the argument that, like, People can protect themselves from harm. You can just choose not to consume the content. This is all just coddled millennials uh, looking to get outraged by perspectives and people and viewpoints that they don't agree with or that don't align with the popular consensus on things. Yeah, that's part of the argument. But then again, you could also look at even if Joe Rogan is not for you and the Joe Rogan Experience podcast specifically, you have to look at this and think, well, what are the other values to what he does? So if if he says the N word in uh, you know more than a hundred podcasts that have now been slipped out of Spotify's catalog quietly, Spotify podcasting giant Joe Rogan apologizing for his repeated use of the N word. The most regretful and shameful thing that I've ever had to talk about publicly. What is lost by what was in the rest of those? We live in a world where people lament the fact that you can't engage a broad audience on matters of social and political importance. Well, here, somehow, is a guy who's not a classical good looks showbiz kind of guy, and yet people are listening to him for hour after hour after hour on sometimes quite obscure um, and, and detailed topics. You know, this is a world where people are angst about how do we engage young people in politics. You know, they look at things like 
the Pokemon Go thing where, you know, even here in New Zealand, we had crowds of people out at weird hours of the night trying to find these digital creatures as part of a game. People looking at that saying, how do we gamify similar interest in politics? How will we get them to do this, this commitment? of So, you know, somehow this bloke has done this in a way that I don't think people could, could have predicted. There's another wider point here. In 2004, the host of the satirical talk show, The Daily Show, John Stewart, appeared on the CNN political debate program, Crossfire. And in an unexpected twist, he confronted the hosts. He said, It's interesting to hear you talk about I felt my responsibility. And maybe this explains quite a bit. No, the opportunity. Is that the news organizations look to Comedy Central for their cues on integrity. So <laughs> right. if your idea of confronting me is that I don't ask hard-hitting enough news questions, we're in bad shape, fellas. We're here to love you, not confront you. No, 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 but, but what, what I'm saying is, is this. I, I'm not. I'm here to, to confront you because we need help from the media, and they're hurting us. Which begs the question, if Joe Rogan is taken seriously as a source of news and information by millions of people around the world... What does that say about the rest of the media? Well, I don't know if it's an indictment of other media, but yeah, there is something about him that he's the one with his approach and his personality that seems to have engaged millions and millions of people on what can be difficult subjects. I mean, I think maybe I don't want to overstate this. I mean, when you do drop the needle on some of these lengthy podcasts and listen to bits of them, I'm thinking, oh, I couldn't possibly sit through more than, yeah. you know, 15 or 20 minutes of this, <laughs> let alone two and a half hours. But but other people do, right? Because I'm thinking, you know, this isn't, even if it's difficult stuff, this isn't, you know, the Frost-Nixon tapes or something. This isn't something you're going to listen to because it's, you know, genuine historical input. It is literally just uh, blokes talking and often in a, a pretty blokey, way yeah. that you know would, would even turn off a, a lot of other people but yeah you're right he he does approach topics with with that curiosity that somehow chimes with people so it is a question of how deeply people really engage with this help me says jody mitchell who took her songs off spotify to support neil young three types of people all those under 30 Say, who's Jenny Mitchell? All those between 30 and 60 go, oh, Jenny Mitchell is still alive. And all those over 60 say, what's Spotify? That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell and Sarah Robson. And thanks to Tim Watkin and Colin Peacock. Matewa. Matewa.